that a Christian by thing that we say it and so forth? But how many of us mean it from here? You know, how many of you would be disappointed if, if the Lord said right now, come up here? Oh, Lord, I, I just put my ham in. Lord, I just got my dinner on. Lord, my husband take me out. For, he ain't did that for a month or two. He's taking me out to dinner. But be mindful. One day, God is going to say, come up here. And the question we have to ask, am I ready? Am I ready? And, and that's something to really explore in your own heart. Nobody else can judge you and say whether you're ready or not ready. Nobody else can really say where you are spiritually. But you know, you know. You know if you really love the Lord. You know it. See? And if somebody has to convince you that you do, you don't. If somebody had to convince me that Elaine was my wife, I'm in trouble. See? That's something I should know within. And really treasure it. Now I'm going to do a little fireside chat. Remember fireside chat is Pastor Brown. It's not so much the word, but a little fireside chat. What we've been hearing, all the things that's been taking place in Akron. And there's a lot of different opinions about it. But one thing is true. Nobody deserves to be shot 50 times. That old saying, you can only hang a man once? <laughs> well, you can only kill a person once. And it only takes one bullet, not 50 of them. But we're living in a day in which we cannot control a lot of things that are taking place. Low four-year-old being gunned down, life hasn't even started. What we have to do is guard our hearts. That our hearts don't lose focus. We stay on course. We stay on task. We're not going to solve this stuff overnight. But there is a solution, and that solution is found in Jesus Christ. But there is something we can do is move a little bit closer to caring about one another. And sometimes what we see is a witness that we are a people today that don't have respect for humanity or for life itself. We're losing that. We're drifting away from that. And as the song says, open my eyes, Lord. I hope he will open your eyes to how we have drifted away from so many things. Whether it be morality, whether it be 
life itself, whether it be how we treat one another and how we show kindness to one another, that somehow we have to recapture that. Or we're just going to see things get worse, worse, worser. Is that your word? And I pray as for Christians, we don't lose focus. Remember that little illustration about a frog? You can put a frog in water and start turning the temperature up, he'll never jump out. We're like that frog. Are we moving closer and closer to the tribulations, the end times, and we're not taking notice of it because we just say, well, that's the norm today. That's the norm today. And we get accustomed to all of this. See, we should never get accustomed to a 10-year-old being raped or being pregnant. That should not be the norm. We should not get accustomed of constantly hearing in the news of somebody shooting into a crowd. We shouldn't get accustomed to that. We shouldn't get accustomed, but we have, to immorality of people just living together and seeing this right. We shouldn't get accustomed to it. True, we can't change it very quickly, but God can. But as we move towards the end times or the tribulations, would your heart stay close to God or do you sense or feel yourself distancing yourself from God? And not even knowing you're walking backwards or away from him. I always ask this question when I'm talking with people, especially about their marriage and their marriage is in trouble. I ask this one question. How do you fall out of love? How do you fall out of love? You never see that in Scripture. That I fall out of love. Even during a divorce, in most cases, somebody keeps loving somebody, even though it hurts. They continue to love. With God, it should not be natural for us to fall away. But it should be very natural and the desire of the heart to draw closer and closer and closer. Now, this book we're going through, I've heard some of you say, well, one reason I really don't study Revelations or get into Revelations is because I don't understand it. That's why we're doing sections of it. Hopefully to give just a little bit more understanding. And yes, 
You can pick up book after book after book. And depending on which camp you find yourself in, you'll read a different view. But hopefully, what we're going to try to do is just camp in the Word of God and try to leave as much as I can on the outside, on the outside, allow Scripture to speak to us. And I want to challenge you. I hear people say, well, I don't believe all the Bible. I only believe part of the Bible. My question is this. If you only believe part of it, are you living up to the part that you believe? At least live up to the quarter of it or half of it or whatever you say you believe about it. Live up to that point. And see where God takes you from there. None of us just started believing the whole Bible. But as you begin to walk with him, you learn more and more and more. Melvin was speaking about all the translations and the number of languages we have, not counting the dialects that we have. Uh, uh, don't tell people, especially from Puerto Rico, that they speak Spanish. That's our view of it. Because there's different dialects of Spanish. In China, there's all kind of dialects. So one village can't speak to another village. But there's one person who can speak to us all. And when we hit next week, that third witness, that's going to help clarify why God uses that third witness. Our first witness we looked at last week, the 144,000. Today we're looking at the second witness, in a sense, the two prophets. Next week we'll look at the third witness, the angel. Each one of these God selected. And that is not to say that others are not witnessing. But these are the ones God brings to the forefront for us to hear. So let's pray and let's get into it. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for all that you're doing in our midst. And Lord, we want to just thank you that you're the God of all comfort. And Lord, would you speak into the heart and the life of the Walker family and of the mom and dad of the four-year-old and all these others that were shot from this side from the rooftop. Uh, Lord, we can't even begin to really grasp that mentally of what's all going on. But Lord, none of this has taken you by surprise. Would you work in a magnificent way to comfort, to bring peace, into the lives of these individuals where a storm has hit. Bring peace. And Father, for us, we thank you for your divine protection. Let us not take it for granted that we're here by luck. We're here by a divine appointment of God. And each day we have 
it is because you have given us this day. And the scripture simply says, this is the day that the Lord has made and you include me in it. I will rejoice in it because I recognize you have given me this day. And Lord, thank you for providing for us because Lord, we're hearing rumors of another 2008, another recession and people starting to get laid off by the end of the year. We, we don't know what all that's going to look like. But Lord, help us to stay close to you. Understand that the righteous has never been forsaken. It doesn't mean we don't suffer some because Peter talks about the righteous suffering. But Lord, you will provide for us. May we see that in the text today. That Lord, there will be suffering, but there will also be divine protection. So Lord, minister to us. Open our eyes, open our ears. And most of all, Lord, open our hearts to you. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me preface this morning's message with a couple verses that I want to help kind of like set the stage for us on this basis. We think that if people will have some dynamic experience with God that they will believe. If some type of miracle takes place in their life, they will believe. What we discount is this. The most important thing that God has given unto us to believe is his word. Is his word. If we discount his word, really anything else that takes place really doesn't have the same value or the same energy or strength or power that his word has. We take it from a human point that, boy, if this thing really took place, if, 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 if God would just bring somebody back from the dead, if God would just do this, if God would just do this in my life or that in my life, then I'll believe him. No. God has given you the most important thing to believe, and that's his word. Faith cometh by what? Hearing the word. Not by things happening, but by hearing the word. Now, these two witnesses are chosen by God to bring a message to people who don't want to hear. But there's something about our God. God has always provided every generation with truth. Therefore, no generation, no individual will be able to go before God and say, I didn't hear. I didn't know. And somebody will come over and say, well, how about them lost people way back somewhere? 
it's not so much man's responsibility to get to them as it is God's responsibility to share with them. And God will. I don't know how because God can only hold me accountable to that which he shares with me and that's what he holds me accountable for. Now understand this also. God said he winks at ignorance. Why? If you choose to put the Bible down, you choose to stay ignorant of the things of God. There's a big difference now. And he says he's always provided a witness, a testimony, a message to every generation of people. Secondly, people perish because they refuse to love the truth or accept the truth. A lot of people live a very hard, tough, miserable life because they refuse to live life the way God has ordained it to be. A lot of people suffer in life because they will not follow God's word or God's purpose for their life. But they forget something. They're the ones who are choosing not to obey. They're the ones who are choosing not to follow what God is asking of them. They are the ones who are saying, I'm going to do it this way rather than God's way. They refuse to love the truth. Second Thessalonians 2.10 tells us. Then Romans says this, and this is the key thing of today. People exchange the truth for a lie. I won't believe this, but I'll believe this. I'm not going to believe this, but I'll believe this. Let me put it in more. God says sex is honorable only in the marriage bed. And what God is saying, there's no guilt, there's no shame when it's done my way in the marriage bed. Outside of the marriage bed, there is self-guilt. There is a thing that I'm never up to par. People always judging me or looking at me wrongly. And all that is torment from within. And the only way you stop that torment, if, if you separate yourself, and we're going to see that in the text somewhat, if you separate yourself from hearing truth. And therefore you find yourself among the group of people who are just like you. And you don't have to worry about hearing truth. <laughs> You don't have to worry about hearing truth because you will exchange truth for a lie. 
illustration with one line is simply this. If a man really loves a woman, he has no problem, and this is what's important that we have forgotten, to give you as the woman his name. And the woman is proud to take on the man's name. And the man is proud to fulfill his obligations to a wife and to children. We exchange the truth for a lie. A man can father children and be a father. He can be called a dad, but in reality, he's neither. He just has some children that he don't know. We exchange the truth for a lie. We'll believe this over here, Islam, against this whole process of Christianity. So I read in the Quran that Ishmael, the firstborn, should have inherited all that Arab has and, and that Christianity twisted it around and told a lie and said Isaac is the firstborn. Well, Isaac is the firstborn of Abraham and Sarah. His wife. Not a handmaiden. Not a slave. So we get all this stuff twisted around and we exchange the truth for a lie. And we believe that. Go to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. I want you to hook these three verses together in a sense. And then I want you to keep them in your mind as we look at Revelation chapter 11. In Proverbs 1 7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, look what he says in finally. The fool. The who? The fool. Despises wisdom and discipline. Whenever you accept knowledge and accept truth, you have to discipline yourself in order for that knowledge and truth to benefit you. If you gain knowledge without discipline, you would be worse than the fool. But truth always demands discipline in order for that truth to be something that you can live out. And he tells us, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. They won't change. Go to uh, verse 1 and 29 to 33. Follow me with this. 29. Since they hated knowledge. You, do you know of people who hate knowledge? Look at a lot of young people. They hate knowledge. They hate learning. Because they are so busy just playing. To learn, you have to set something else to the side. To gather knowledge, you have to put something else to the side. 
you have to stop doing this in order to concentrate on this. And he says, boy, since they hate knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, what did they do? They chose not to fear the Lord. Hang on to that. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The waywardness of what? The foolish or the simple will kill them. And the compliancy of fools, the complacency of fools will what? Destroy them. But whoever listens, hold on to that word as we go into Revelation 11. Those who listen. When you read the Old Testament, Sometime do your study just on listening and see how many times God says about Israel they wouldn't listen. Even your own children. Watch and see how often they get in trouble because they would not listen to who? To you, the parent. Listening is important. But we listen to everything, rap. We listen to this mess and to that mess. And all rap is not bad. All music is not bad. But boy, we listen to more of the bad than we do the good. And we listen to more foolish talk than knowledgeable talk, something that will help me. And he says, but whoever listens to me will live, how? In safety. And be at ease without fear of what? Of harm. If you listen to me. Go to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Ten through thirteen. I make known. Hear what the Lord says now. I make known the end from the beginning. God reveals it. God shows it. He makes it known. He says in Matthew, "Hey, you can look up, and you you can discern the sky, and you can say." It's going to rain. If you can discern the sky, shouldn't you be able to discern the time? And the time in which we're living and things that we are seeing. How many realize this week we're going to have more states, more cities, over 100 degrees than what we've ever had in history? How many of you really realize most of the world is fighting a shortage of water. And if we're honest, in America, we're starting to fight a shortage of drinking water. And as it gets scarce, water bills going to go this way. 
But he says that we need to understand this. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times to what's still to come. I say my purpose will stand. Nobody's going to change my plan. God says, I'm going to do it. What is in this book, I'm going to do. No one's going to change my plan. And I will do all that I please. And nobody's going to stop me. Not even the Antichrist. Not even the image or the beast. And we need to understand, he says, from the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man fulfills my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, what I have planned, that will I do. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted. You who are far from righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. What is God doing? I'm bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor, Israel. Now, understand this. You and I can never have truth if God himself did not share truth with us. We would never have truth totally just dependent upon man because man don't know what is truth but God does and God shares his truth. Now he brings these two witnesses when we get into Revelation and it's the first time that I know of that John is invited to participate. Most of Revelation, John is an observer. He's observing what the future will be like, what's going to take place. But here, he is told to participate, to do something. So he says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altars and count the worshipers there. Now John is invited to participate and to do something. We are all participated. We are all participants of what God's plan is. All of us have a part to play. God has given every one of us something to do. That's just been God's way of dealing with his people from the start all the way to the end. God calls us to be participants with him in sharing this truth and living out this truth. And he has John participate with him doing this. And he tells him exactly what to do. Boy, measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. 
And maybe if you study the temple, the Jews had the inner court or the inner area of worship, and the Gentiles could come around the outer court or they had the Gentile area. They could not go into the area of the worship here, but they could come because there were many Gentiles also seeking the true God in the outer court. Now, how many of you realize historically Jerusalem has been the most conquered city than any other city in history? Jerusalem has been fought over more than any other city in history. Jerusalem oftentimes is called the center of the world. And in this end time, God is bringing focus back to Jerusalem. America is not important. I think America is still existing, but America doesn't have any power. America is broke economically. America is broke morally. America is broke spiritually. America is existing, but has no power to intervene like it intervenes today for Jerusalem. So I believe America is still existing. But Revelation is going to focus on the Jews and Jerusalem. Not the church, not so much the Christian, although people are being saved, but on the Jews and Jerusalem. That's why the 144,000, 12,000 comes out of each tribe. God is focusing on who? The Jewish people. He's not discounting other people. Now, this is something we've got to clear in our mind. Best way I can illustrate it is this. Because I've been called to be a pastor and to share God's message, does not exempt you. It does not exempt you. It does not exempt you or any of us from sharing the gospel. He just called me to fulfill a position called pastoring or shepherding. But all of us have ministry. I'm not the only one in ministry. You're in ministry. Every one of you are in ministry, ministering to somebody during the week. You're, you are ministering to other people. It's not left up to just me. We're all included in it. Only thing that would make a difference about me is that God called me to pastor. That's all. Now, Sometimes we make something too grand about this thing. Sometimes we make it more than what it is. God didn't put man on a pedestal even though he gave him a title. People put people on pedestals. And you have to be careful of that. God has given me no more power in a sense than what he's given you. Why? I have no greater Death, and some of you may have more than me. 
the real power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are called to minister and to be a witness for God. You never have to get my permission to witness. If God says do it, you do it. Now he called these two witnesses. Just go to John 8.17 and you can look up the other verses for yourself. Boy, I'm running out of time. And I can't blame nobody this week. 8.17. In John chapter 8. Where am I now? Verse 17. In your own law it is written... That the testimony of two men is what? Is valid. God doesn't even go against his own law. In the law that is written, that God is here, the testimony of two men is valid. So if you go back to Deuteronomy and check it, if only one witnesses it, that's not valid. It has to be two for someone to be put to death. It has to be two witnesses. And how did Jesus send them out? In pairs of what? Twos. And when you study that word two, God is always doing something with people with two. And here he sends two individuals. And they are going to be witnesses. And he is going to empower them. In verse 3. And you need to understand that his two witnesses are given power. And where does the power come from? It comes from God. Take this principle. Whenever God gives you a task, he also takes on two responsibilities. One, to strengthen you that you can stand under the task. And number two, he will provide the means and all that is necessary for you to perform the task. President Boone said something, that thing never left my ear. God never expects you to finance his program. Money will always follow his program and what he wants done. That in some way God will provide it. He will meet the need. He'll strengthen you that you can stand up under whatever pressures may come to you in life. He strengthens us to stand for righteousness. And sometimes, doing the right thing, you may suffer. But he'll strengthen you inwardly. But he'll also, on the outside, provide you what is necessary for you to complete the task that he has assigned you. So, he gives these two men, these two prophets, power. And he gives them a task, a message to deliver. 
for 1,260 days for three and a half years. Now, I think that message is more towards the end time. And it's divided on both ways. Some think it's in the beginning part. I think it's in the last three and a half years of the tribulation because that's the darkest years. And that's when the Antichrist really takes hold of things and really begins to exert himself. And I think whenever God see a lie begin to exert itself, he exerts his truth. Why? For people to be able to discern between the truth and a lie. So God allowed these two men to come on the scene for three and a half years declaring his message that people will be able to hear their message even though they're hearing the message of the image and the beast. God allows people to still hear truth for three and a half years. Then when you go down, I'm going to have to just rush a little bit because I want to get through all of this. Into verse 4, it tells us a little bit more about them. It says, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And Zechariah 4, in verse 14, people have taken a guess of Joshua the priest Joshua during this time and Zerubbabel as being these two, the problem that we have either in the text in the Old Testament in Zechariah or here doesn't mention any names. So therefore we even come to a point, okay, that one might be Moses and one might be Elijah. But again, there is no names given. There's no names given. What is clear is that they stand here before the Lord. And that's the part that we have to sometimes leave it, that it is before the Lord, these two stand. And when you go to Zechariah chapter 4, and you... And you pick up in verse 12, it's not that the information isn't sought for. The information is sought. So it says in verse 12, Again I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two pipes and pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, he doesn't know. The writer doesn't know. No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. And that's all the information he really gives us. Now we can add in and we can say it was Moses and it was Elijah because they were there at the transfiguration. We can say it was Elijah and Enoch because both of them were taken up. The scripture doesn't really tell us. But what we do know, they are representing the Lord of all the earth. They're representing the Lord of the earth. Then verse 5, he says, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth. That's what God provided them with. The ability to protect themselves. 
with fire that comes out of their mouth. Now that's strange to us. But whatever it is that comes out of their mouth, it kills those who try to harm them. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky. So God gives them an outward power also. Not only the inward to destroy life that attacks them, but now the ability to bring attention. Now, catch this. I think it's to bring attention to themselves. That when people suffer enough, they'll run and listen to anybody. When 9-11 took place, churches were filled based on the fear of people, not the love of people for God, but the fear of people. Here, they're able to shut up heaven and not have it rain for three and a half years while they prophesy. Now, just think with me for a moment. If it doesn't rain, what happens to the crops? Do you get a little hungry? If it doesn't rain, how do you replenish your drinking water? If it doesn't rain, how does humanity exist? So God forces people, in a sense, to listen to this message. To bring them to a point that they will hear. Now let me share something with you. God sometimes puts us in his vice that brings pressure in our life. And that pressure is to do one thing. Turn your head from this to this. That's all. Sometimes we'll never look up until there's enough pressure in our lives that we understand, I can't make it happen. My best friends can't make it happen. Mom and dad can't make it happen. Nobody can change this situation but him. And he puts the pressure there. And God gives them the ability to apply pressure to life that people will listen to their message. He goes a little further. And he says, these men have the power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying and they have power to turn water into blood. So the water that you have stored up that you thought maybe was safe, they have the power to do what? Turn that drinking water into blood where it's no longer usable by you or by us. And he moves on and he says, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. As often as they want that they can strike the earth 
with all different type of plagues. For what purpose? To bring men and women and children to him. To grasp their attention. To capture their attention. And sometimes we don't turn to God until we are suffering, we are hurting. As a chaplain at the hospital, I could be visiting with family members for two, three days. I don't hear God until the physician comes in and says, your loved one has expired. And then I hear, oh God, oh God. Sometimes it takes the very worst things in our life to have God's name come off our lips in a reverence way rather than in a negative cursing way. And he continues on. Because he comes into that verse 9. Well, let's get that verse 7. Now when they had finished their testimony, underline that. Because this is going to happen to you and I. Two deaths. Two deaths. One death takes place because God says, you're still doing my work. But now it's over with. It's ended. Now it's time to go where? Go home. One day, Pastor Brown's task will be over with, completed. And I'm going to go home. One day, your task, whatever that might be, is going to be over with. And you're going to go home. Hopefully you can really say, absent from the body, present with the Lord, I know where I'm going, I'm going home. That you can say that with assurance from in here. The other way that people die is this. God's patience has come to its end. I've tried to witness to you here. I've tried to witness to you here. I've tried to witness to you here. I've tried to tell you here. I've tried to open your eyes here. But you refuse to what? To see or to hear. And God says now, time is up. Time is up. Those two ways, death takes place. For the Christian, when your task is done, for the unbeliever is when God says there's nothing that's going to turn you. Nothing's going to bring you to me. And this is what we need to understand. God will not force himself on you. God will not force himself or force you to bend your knees to him. But there comes a day you will confess and you will bend your knee. It won't be here. But in his presence, he says, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Why? He wants you to know. 
You'll be in hell knowing truth just that it's too late for truth to help you or do anything for you. So he's doing all he can do to share truth with you now. The only thing God will not do is force you to believe him. Elaine and I, we talk about this a lot of times and our conclusion always comes up to the same. She can't make me love her or really want to be with her. I can't make her love me and really want to be with me. Both of us have to act off our will that we want to be with one another. And that's God. He loves you so much that he will not force you to love him. But you have to want to love him and be with him. Now, let's rush on just a little bit here. Now, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Now they're dead. Their task is over with. They're delivering their message. It's over with. Their work is over with. And he allows death to take place. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, which is Jerusalem, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Boy, I had to think on that a little bit. Refuse them burial. This is what I came up with that. Men said, no, we're not going to bury them. I don't think that was man's ideal. I think that was God's ideal. And I'm going to show you why. They had the inhabitants of the earth will gloat or they make merry. They're excited about this. They're dead. Why are they so rejoyful that they're dead? They don't have to hear what any longer? Truth. They don't have to hear truth. Don't worry. If you're a witness and you share truth, people will run from you. You don't have to run from them. If you want to break up a party when everybody's drinking and they're doing this and that, you just start witnessing and see what happens to the party. Everybody wants you gone. Elaine and I, we used to party with some folks and so forth, and when we became Christians and we would show up, boy, they wouldn't start drinking until after we go. <laughs> the party didn't start until after we leave, <laughs> so forth, you know, because there's something about truth being present that hinders evil. And they are rejoicing, they are gloating, 
that these men are dead. Why? They don't have to hear truth. And it says, boy, for three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse to bury them. Now catch verse 10. This is verse 10. This is why. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. They are so happy that they don't have to hear the truth no more. Now, be honest with yourself. Before you became a Christian, isn't there certain people you didn't want to see? Because the moment you saw them, you knew what? They were going to start talking about who? Boy, I'm tired of hearing. Every time they come around, they want to talk about their Jesus. Every time they come around, they want to ask me if I'm going to hell or not. Every time they come around. And after a while, you try to avoid those people. (laughs) You know. And he says, boy, we'll celebrate by sending each other gifts. Because these two prophets had did what? Tormented. When you speak truth, To someone who's living a lie, you torment them. You torment them. Because they don't want to hear that. Because everything inside of them wants to believe how they're living is right. Even though it's wrong. And when you speak, you're causing them to have to think about how they're living and what they're doing. That's torment. I don't want to have to think that I'm right. I just want to know I'm right, even though I'm wrong. I can convince myself that I'm right in doing my wrong. And then he says in verse 11, but after three and a half days, a breath of life. There's that breath of life that God breathed all the way back in Genesis. And became a living soul. That breath of life that God gave. From God entered them. And they stood on their feet. Now, now, now just picture that. For three and a half days you lay dead. And then all of a sudden you stand on your feet. Understand something. If you lay down for three and a half days... And don't eat and don't move. For you to stand on your feet, you need help. You'll need help. There's no help. No, there's no two men, one on each side, helping them stand up. It said they stood up on their feet. That is the strength of God. In those bodies, standing them up. Look what happens now here. Boy. They stood on their feet and terror struck those, struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. If you go to John fifteen twenty five, 
you read this little verse. They hated me without reason. They hated me without reason. Now, understand something. These are three bodies that you know is dead. Been laying there for three and a half days. And they stand up. And you still won't repent. It terrifies you so, but you won't repent. Why? John answers it for us. They hated me with no reason. You have to search your heart and you have to ask this question. Do you hate the word of God so much? Do you despise Jesus so much that nothing will turn you towards him? To believe him? To live for him? See, each one of us got to answer that. Because God is doing things in our life sometimes that is unbelievable, but we won't believe that. And the reason we don't really want to believe that is because we reject the word. And when you reject God's word, you will reject everything else that he does in your life. And you'll replace it with this word. Boy, I was lucky today. I was lucky today. Rather than saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for every good and perfect gift coming from where? From above, John says. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I was lucky. You don't know how lucky I was today, Vic. No, it wasn't luck. It was God's hand preserving you. God's hand. But will you repent? They were terrified, but nothing says that they repented. And then this last part in closing is simply this. Well, you know, one of my prayers is this. I don't know if it would be granted to me, but a pastor up in Chicago, I have a couple of his books, He had a habit after he was done preaching. He would lay his head on his pulpit and close in prayer. And for about 10, 15 minutes after he was done with his message, he laid his head down, but there was not a sound. And the people kept waiting and waiting. And finally they went up and he was dead. Wouldn't that be a great way for a pastor to go? Lord, let me finish my message. Let me beat them up, knock them out. (laughs) Get them dressed rightly in your righteousness and then call me on home. It says they heard a loud voice. Come up here. And guess what? Every believer hears that. A non-believer doesn't hear that. But every believer, start taking note of how people die. You'll see a little grin. You'll see a little smile. You'll see something on their face that says they were at peace during this process of dying. And then others you'll see, 
boy, a stern, frightened type, frozen face, that they're seeing something that they were scared of. Because one heard God say, come up here. And the other heard nothing. Father, would you prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your voice, to speak to us, to minister to us. Would you help us, O oh God, to understand that these two witnesses you called in, you put them in place at such a time to be able to speak against the Antichrist and the beast and the Im- image. And that, Lord, down through history, you have always provided a prophet, your voice, your word, that people might discern truth over a lie. Lord, would you minister to us in this day in which we're living, that we might discern truth over a lie. Minister to us, Lord. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom. Let us not be fools. Let us not be simpletons. But, oh God, give us the wisdom that comes from above. Give us understanding and knowledge that we might be a people who live out your truth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and Oh, Lord, for your name. 
circumstances might be holding us captive for a little while. No matter what the pain may be or the hurt may be, would you give us a song to sing? Would you give us a verse to quote? Would you give us the strength to praise your name in the time of difficulties? Because, Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on with me. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be honored and recognized. You are worthy to be called my God. No matter what's going on in my life. Help me to celebrate you. No matter what season of life I'm in. Help me to celebrate you. Give me the strength as long as I have breath to praise your holy name. And Lord, give us a greater love for you. Let us not love you just with a fleshly love. But would you give us a divine, godly love for you that cries out for you, that wants more of you? Would you minister to us? As we depart from this place, let us not be Christians only while we're in these four walls, but help us to live out the Christ life outside of these walls. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord. Yeah. 
praises to your name. praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, yes, I sing praises to your name.